Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here along with WCCO Radio's Paul Hodawanik. Paul, this is the most important moment of your life in, in a while since really like everything went down, since there was coach search, Jim Harbaugh, extensions, dead cap space in the future. Like all those discussions have kind of faded. They have drifted into the past and now enter the uh, the gates are open to training camp this week. So we have a very special five question hot routes to open training camp. Uh, so are you excited? Yeah, I don't know if, if people would be able to tell throughout this. I'm just really, really nervous about this episode. Just re- a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. I know it's super important. If you hear my voice crack or I start trembling a little bit, just know it's the weight of the moment getting to me a little bit. So uh-huh. I'm going to do my best to battle through uh, and get people ready for training camp because I know it's it's the pinnacle, really, of this last however long we've been in. And, and I got to be I got to be great. So we'll see how I do. It's all about the big moments, and I won't yep. make a joke about quarterbacks who don't come okay. through in big moments and stuff. That's, but that's very big of you. Yeah, you were you were getting very nervous earlier, mm-hmm. panting heavily, but uh, right. you've gotten it together, and now we're ready to go. So right. why don't we just kick it right off with our first question? Or actually, well, I could play the Hot Routes intro if you want. I can dig that up. Yeah, it'd be great. Just, you know, just because we should. Okay, here we go. There's news in the NFL today, and it's time to break it down in the only way we know how. Hot Rock Style, with our spin on football headlines with a mix of frozen tundras, neck roll, and grass-stained jersey. Shout out, as always, to Manny Hill for that intro. All right, let's begin right away here with our first question. Paul, who? will be Mr. Man Cato, the thing that we all are watching the closest. Which player, if you're not familiar with this, I mean, you should be, but if you're not familiar with this, every year there's a player we don't expect to emerge, and they do, and sometimes they surprise us, including uh, players like Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs have been Mr. Man Cato's of the past. So who will it be this year that we don't expect going in, and then by the end of camp, we're all talking about this player. Yeah, this is interesting because, you know, the ethos of this was someone we're not talking about. And then I did an article breaking down who it could be and other people break down who it could be. So it loses a little bit of it because it we're naming people that then don't become as unexpected because we've already talked about them about maybe being unexpected. So I'm kind of going off the board a little bit. Maybe I, I haven't seen the odds. I don't know if Vegas has had the guts to put these out yet. Um I'm going to go Zach Davidson as my Mr. Mankato. I'm going to go off the board a little bit. I didn't want to take someone that was drafted. And I think offensive players just have a much easier path to this type of award just because their counting stats are easier to see. And I have that. And then I also just have opportunity where, what positions are going to have opportunity and the tight end spot. Now that Kyle Rudolph, that eligible bachelor Kyle Rudolph is off the table. He's picked his destination there isn't a great clear number two tight end in this offense. Uh, And I think it could be Zach Davidson. Uh, He obviously was a draft pick last year, raw, super athletic, big guy, runs fast, does all the things that you want from a tight end flyer. And so 
I think there's a route for him to make the roster here. And a lot of the other guys that I was looking at, unless I wanted to go like Brian Asamoah or something like that, a lot of these guys just might not even end up making the roster. Uh, and you kind of have to make the roster to win this award. And so I looked at who has the most opportunity, where could that come from? And I wanted to go off the board. I wanted to play. I didn't, I didn't want to play the hits. So I think Zach Davidson has, if he plays well in a couple preseason games, I assume they're going to, you know, Irv Smith's not going to get like halves on halves of playing time. Like it's going to be Zach Davis. It's going to be um, some of the, their other kind of lesser known tight ends that they have there. And I think he profiles as a guy that you say last year, let's throw it out. Can this guy be our Tyler Conklin this year uh, and make some noise? And I think he could. So that's where I'm going. Cause I think he actually has the legitimate chance to make the roster. I think both tight ends that are eligible for Mr. Mankato are good picks. Nick Muse is another pick. And yeah, I mean, if you're gambling on this in Vegas, this is very important information. Usually uh, Chris Reed of K uh, Chris uh, long. I mean, Chris Reed's a guard for the Vikings. Chris long of KSTP puts out odds. I don't know if he's put them out yet uh, for us to go through, but I think Nick Muse is a guy that should have some hype as Mr. Mankato is a seventh round pick, but you know, a good athlete handpicked by the team. Usually their own draft picks might have more opportunity than the previous regime's draft picks. That's a good selection. Ty Chandler is a guy that when you talk about opportunity, he's not going to get opportunity to take first team reps or probably even second team reps because Alexander Madison and Kenny Wong will, will get those. But where he will have opportunity is the preseason. I don't expect this team to play almost anybody in the preseason. I wouldn't be surprised if Kirk Cousins doesn't throw a single preseason pass. I don't know this for sure, but this is just kind of how the Rams have handled it, where they've said, nope, nobody's getting on the field and getting hurt like Irv Smith did last year in the third preseason game. So what does that mean? That means Kenny Wongwu, Ty Chandler. These guys are going to get a lot of opportunities. Wongwu, I don't think qualifies for this. Um, You know, there's always been a debate of, well, you know, if a guy was kind of a backup in year one, but when you return a couple of touchdowns, uh, I think that you're kind of off the table here. So if Ty Chandler is getting lots of chances in these preseason games, he breaks some big plays. He makes noise. He makes the team all of a sudden he's got a chance for Mr. Mankato. Now on the defensive side, uh, and I'll decide uh, who my pick is here in a second, but on the defensive side, I think the best bet would be Jalen Twyman because even though he's a sixth round pick from last year, he comes back from having to miss the entire season after he got shot. And so he had to miss the whole year, but he's got the great story to go with it. Like last year, he had this really unfortunate thing happen to him. It was you know, really tough, took away his rookie season. Now he comes back uh, again, opportunity. You have a defensive line that's set and arm on Watts that's set. But after that, there's, really a lot of openings. So if Jalen Twyman comes in and rushes the passer right away and looks pretty good right away, I think he's going to get a lot of uh, attention there. Brian Asamoah is a great pick because he's going to play a lot in the preseason. And he also is really quick. He's got playmaking potential. You get a couple of big tackles. You get an interception. I think it's a little harder for linebackers, but if he ends up as the number three linebacker by the end of training camp and not somebody like Blake Lynch or Troy Dye or Chaz Surratt, guys who have been on the team for a few years, then we're going to be talking about him. A Caleb Evans is another player drafted in the fourth round, lanky, athletic, like maybe a guy that 
again, gets a couple of interceptions. You have to have splash plays, but you're also playing against a lot of backups when you get those preseason games. And the preseason games are where all the fans, you know, there's going to be a lot of fans in the stands and stuff, but where the entire state can watch these guys. And that's what ends up mattering a lot. So I think that on the defensive side, there's a lot of potential for playmaking and guys to rise up in the depth chart. Uh, one more offensive player that I would mention would be uh, Jalen Naylor, the sixth round draft pick, uh, big play guy at Michigan State. He makes a few big plays. This is a hard receiver room to make, I think. But if he was able to force his way in and beat out somebody like, say, Albert Wilson or Amir Smith-Marset or BC Johnson and get a spot, then we're talking a lot about this emerging receiver, Jalen Naylor. And receiver is one of those spots where you're getting the football all the time in the, in the preseason games. It's not super hard uh, to shine. It's not like if we're talking about, you know, a late round offensive lineman, like, boy, he's just been pancaking everybody. Like that's a lot harder to kind of point out. So uh, there's a I, lot of potential guys there. Right. I think you mentioned Jalen Twyman. I think Janarius Robinson uh, could also be yes. a guy for a very similar arc fourth round pick kind of more of a higher caliber player than Twyman was coming out of college. He's hurt all year. So you have that similar kind of, didn't play at all redemption arc for him and behind in Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith, there is not much. So if someone flashes there, especially if they can flash as a pass, pass rusher, which I think Janarius Robinson has the makeup to do, then I think he could be right there with him as well. And on offense, Kellen Mond, are you going to get excited about Kellen Mond, Matt? Come on. He, if he I plays think well, he's, not, he's not qualified though. Is he, does he qualify now? I mean, well, he didn't play at all. I think he does. Qualifies. He was, I mean, last year I read Chris Long's column um, from last year. He was the favorite there. So I think, mm. you know, just because of how much the fans and people just generally kind of want to see what he ends up being. If he plays well in the preseason, it's really easy to win as a quarterback just because the all eyes are on you. So I think we have to, we have to mention him in this segment, but um, it's uncreative. I don't like it. I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. And uh, I mean, if Kellen Mond were to absolutely shine, uh, I suppose you're right. He does deserve to qualify because he was a third or later round pick and he didn't play at all last year. I hadn't even really considered him. Uh, one more on the defensive side, uh, Asazia Tomowo is a guy with the local angle. And anytime you can have the local yeah. angle, then of course you, you need to be thrown in the mix. I think I might go with the chalkiest pick though. And just go Brian Asamoah mm. uh, because he's going to get opportunity as a fairly high draft pick. That third spot, as far as linebackers go, is pretty wide open. It's not a super high bar to jump over. And just like we've said for several players, preseason games, he's going to get a lot of time. He is like a sideline to sideline type of player. He's super quick. He's undersized, but also the speed goes along with that. He makes a couple of plays. He emerges as a guy that they feel like they can believe in right away. And you're talking about a Mr. Mankato there. So uh, Zach Davidson, I think I didn't really comment on your pick is, is bold because I think that he would be way down on the right. list of, of all potential Mr. Mankato's tight ends, though. They usually take a little time to develop. And like Tyler Conklin, sometimes you could be surprised and go, oh, well, I just never saw this coming. Plus, if we remember... Zach Davidson was also a punter in college. So he is a tight end slash punter. So if Kevin O'Connell, and this is how we'll know if Kevin O'Connell's really legit, if he dials up a play where they snap it to the punter, 
and the punter fakes a pass, but instead he pitches it backwards to Zach Davidson and then he punts it away. Then we'll know that is a creative offensive mind. That's how we're going to figure it out. It won't be trying to unlock Kirk Cousins or anything like that. If he (laughs) really deploys Zach Davidson, then we know this O'Connell kid, he's got some chops to be able to do this thing. But yeah, no, I, I'm a guy, when I go to the like horse track, I bet on all the long shots. I don't like doing the favorites. So Mm. Zach Zach Davidson stuck out to me and I think he has the opportunity to do it. Uh, But we'll see. Uh, We'll certainly see. I guess Amir Smith-Marset has to be one of the favorites too. What about Cousins in a pistol formation? Mm. Davidson is behind him. It's fourth and eight. The opponent is like, are they really going for it? Wow, this O'Connell must be like really football woke. Oh my gosh. Right. Cousins takes the snap, pitches it over his shoulder to Zach Davidson. He punts it away. There's nobody back there. It's an 86-yard punt. Yeah, they could do like pooch punt things where they have Zach Davidson in the backfield as in the shotgun, maybe like, oh, he's going to be a blocker. No, no, no. It's just an auto snap to him. And we're just going to do this punt that I don't really know why any college team ever does it, but they do do that. Uh, and, we, you know, we can bring that in just just for fun. Just why not? Yeah, I feel like uh, maybe an overlooked criticism of Mike Zimmer not utilizing the tight end slash punter. Uh, all right, on to our next question. I want you to rank your top three most interesting position groups, Paul. This isn't battles. This is just groups. This is just most interesting group. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a position battle. Yeah. But it just has to have intrigue. My number one, the one I'm just interested to see what happens in, is the safety group. Um, with Lewis Seen, Harrison Smith, a year older, but in a new system, and what like what they do with Cam Bynum and kind of the different ways that they deploy him. I'm really, really excited to see where they have Cam Bynum lined up and just in general how Lewis Seen looks, first round pick, obviously. And how Harrison Smith looks in another year older. Uh, he's obviously been a really, really good safety for a really long time. And so that position group doesn't really have any intrigue in terms of who's going to be the number one, who's the number two, who's the number three. I think there's a clear pecking order between that group, but I think they can be used in different ways. Cam Bynum is a guy that played well last year and you want to see him develop. And I think over the offseason, people just get hyped up. And I think Cam Bynum's just naturally gotten hyped up for him playing just decently well. So I want to see him back that up. But the safety group, number one for me, is one I'm I'm just really intrigued to see what they look like because it has the makings to be a really good group uh, if Lewis Seen hits. That's a group of depth. That's a group with different types of guys in that back end that can do different things. So maybe we can go back and forth with different ones. But I, I'm really, really intrigued by the safety group. Okay, I'll agree with you. And yeah, we'll make out the list here of the top three. And then if we uh, have other nominations, we can talk about them. Well, I'm going to stay on the same side of the ball in the same general area and go corners would be number one for me uh, because you have Cam Dantzler who had a very poor camp and preseason last year. And when you talk about what ifs of last year, it's always, hey, what if it wasn't rule of the fumble in Cincinnati? What if it, the field goal went in or what if... You know, this play or that play was made at the end of games and things like that. But how about what if Cam Dantzler had come out in his second year and had a really good training camp and convinced Mike Zimmer that he should be the starter? It was a mistake for Zimmer to stick with Bashad Breeland as long as he did. No doubt about that. But when you come out in your first preseason game against Denver, just get roasted for a long touchdown. Like, 
I mean, you've got to earn that job when you're going up against the veterans. So is Dantzler kind of learned his lesson where he's got to come in and earn the gig right away because there will be some pressure from behind him. Uh, Patrick Peterson and how he looks won't make much difference to me. Hard to say. A lot of times, I remember this with, with Terrence Newman, a lot of times veteran players look bad at the beginning of camp because they work themselves into the right level of shape. Like they can't be going hard 365 they have to kind of time it out right to be for the uh, regular season as opposed to right at the beginning of camp to like work like crazy to get themselves in the right shape so that might be the case for Patrick Peterson won't be too concerned about that but Andrew Booth Jr who as we record this still oddly hasn't signed his contract I mean I'm guessing that there's issues with guarantees and his injury history and everything else that have to get worked out I suspect that it'll get worked out in the next couple days and he'll be there but Andrew Booth's health and how he looks in comparison to Cam Dantzler and the nickel position. Is there an actual battle there? Shannon Sullivan has numbers that look good and numbers that look not as good for his career, but he has been a starter the last two years at a nickel position and overall has performed okay. So I'm guessing that he'll be that guy, but is there anybody that's going to be able to come for him uh, is kind of an intriguing question as well. And it's not so much the battle because I think we know who's playing there. But it's the idea of can Booth be legitimate depth or can Dantzler look like he's ready to go from day one? And how are we feeling about this position group? Because as of right now, we go into the season eh, pretty dicey. Like you don't have two veteran players here where you're really confident in what they're going to be. And even because of Peterson's age, you're not 100% of what he's going to be this year. I think it's the one with the most question marks about how good they can play. And um, that's why I'm, I'm most interested. So what's your next one? I'm also going to stick on the defensive side of the ball. And just the entirety of the defensive line is really, really interesting to me. Uh, one, just, I, I don't know if it's, it, it, I don't know. Most teams like their top two guys have so much unknown and question marks with them and just how they're going to look. We haven't seen Daniel Hunter in a while. We haven't seen Zedarius Smith in for an extensive period of time in a while. And so your top two guys, there's no certainty with anyone on along that position group. So you can see that going terribly, but you can also see them playing well and a couple of the other pieces coming together and that being a really solid unit. So the defensive line is super, super interesting to me, up and down. What does Daniel Hunter look like? Will he look like he's kind of ready for another contract? Obviously, was it two training camps now ago that Hunter had his neck injury that just kept being, oh, he just tweaked it, and then it he just never shows up? So you have that history with him. Zedaria Smith is obviously a new player in a new defensive scheme, or same defensive scheme, new one for Vikings and Vikings fans. Uh, how does he look in it? How does... Armand Watts looking at it. You think he feels like one of the guys that could take a, a next step. How does Patrick Jones and Janarius Robinson and Jalen Twyman look in it? Because one of them has to emerge for this defensive line unit to be any sort of good. Uh, that like They need depth, and so there's guys that need to step up. Again, the starters aren't in question, but the way that the depth lines up behind them and the confidence that the Vikings can have with their depth is a really, really – pertinent and important point that's going to matter for them and might not just catch you when you're first looking at it, but like the defensive line has to play well. We did that whole defensive line pod last week. So people can get more there, but I think the defensive line group up and down, each guy has question marks. Each guy has 
reasons to be intrigued. And I don't know if anyone's really solidified in their spot other than Harrison Phillips. And like, like otherwise there's injury questions. There's just performance questions up and down the line. And that position group is going to matter. And not to mention a new scheme for a lot of the guys that were here before. So you're going to see different formations. And so from my eye, just having watched the Vikings play the same style of defense for so long, I'm intrigued to see how they're lining guys up, how Daniil Hunter looks like without his hand in the ground, like how thing, how these things are going to work. So I'm really intrigued by the defensive line group. There's a very good case there. And then the other one is the offensive line group because wide receiver, you're kind of set quarterback. You're definitely set running back. You're definitely set. And there's not much to ask there outside of the depth, even tight end just deserves Smith look like he did last year, but he's young. He got hurt in something that shouldn't have long-term repercussions. I'm sure it'll look probably very similar where he's going to look good, but the offensive line, I don't know that I'm ready to say Garrett Bradbury is interesting. You got to prove it in real games. After we've done this for a couple of years, it's just got to be in real games. If you're going to show me it's different. He got benched last year. Like I'm not going to be watching practice and be like, you know, he's really battled with Harrison Phillips. Like, no, I'm not doing that. But the right guard and the Wyatt Davis thing. And is it going to be Jesse Davis or Chris Reed at the right guard position and an underrated one? Maybe since we've already penciled in Christian Darisaw as just a good player is whether he looks like he's making progress in his second season. And not only that, but his health as well. And we talk about players that you would have some concern about their health. I mean, Christian Darisaw was hurt, what, three times last year? He got here coming off surgery and couldn't, I think, couldn't do OTAs or couldn't fully participate. Then he had another surgery and couldn't do training camp. And then he played a good portion of the year but got hurt and had to miss a game or two. And Ole Udo needed to fill in. Uh, is that going to be the same case this year or is he going to be healthy throughout training camp? And we're saying, wow, this is a star at the end of the day. So I think out of, you know, I think my list would probably include offensive line over defensive line. And we agree on, on the secondary, but, um, and, and we didn't even talk about the long snapper. There's no battle. Of what are they doing? Yeah. And no, no battle for the long snapper position. Come on. Um, but yeah, I think that those, that those rank uh, among the highest. So let me just move on to the next uh, question then. Your favorite camp darling of years gone by, Paul, years of the past. There have been many players, not just Mr. Mankato's, but players who fans fell in love with throughout the summer. Um, some of them went on to have success. Some of them did not go on to have success. So who are your favorite camp darlings of the past? Am I allowed to say Kari Vedvik? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, okay. Because that he, Kari holds a, a special place in my heart. Just as that was the first training camp I was out there at. People know this story. They listen to the podcast. My job for oh, several days was to just carry a camera around and film every single thing that Kari Vedvik did. Oh, he's going to punt now. Okay. Watch it. Punt. Watch him punt. Wait, now he's going over to kick. Whoa. So just personally, I spent a lot of time with a camera just on the second field, while everything else is actually going on on the one field, I'm over there with the specialists as Kari Vedvik's doing some things and then ultimately melting down. So as my own personal favorite, it's Kari Vedvik. Otherwise, it's just insert veteran receiver that gets cut, but people get intrigued by when they sign them in late June. You know, you're Kendall Wrights, your Jordan Taylors, your this year, your Albert Wilsons, 
uh, just those are personal favorites to me too. Um, just because every year, and I don't necessarily blame people for this. They go back and they see he's got good stats and they say, why not? Uh, but usually he's available that year late into the year for a reason. And he's really there as a camp body and a flyer. And I don't know if any of them have actually worked out. Like, is there one that made the team and actually did anything? You'd, you'd have better knowledge of that than me, but I like, I guess maybe like Michael Floyd a little bit, but he was, a li- I, I don't know there. They really don't exist. So that just that faction of fifth and fourth wide receivers, you can even throw Alexander Hollins in there because people plays well and then you get mad. So just insert fourth, fifth potential wide receiver here. Uh, that's always my favorite darling guy uh, every single year. So I know who people want me to say. They want me to say Kyle Sloter. And uh, congratulations to Kyle Sloter for joining the Jacksonville Jaguars after playing in the USFL. But I have to say, though, that I just I didn't enjoy the Kyle Sloter thing really at all. I mean, that's because I think that it was a lot of people on the Internet trying to, like, rile up fans about Kyle Sloter and fight with people for their own attention. And I I don't think it was real. Like no one really believed that. Um, And then, you know, but Mike Zimmer dunking on Kyle Sloter, his dad tweeting people like it became a fiasco. And I I don't even know if that's a darling. I think that that's just like, it got totally ridiculous because everybody was bored for football. Didn't he make t-shirts? Didn't he make t-shirts? Yes, yes, yes. He made t-shirts on his own personal website. And I remember people in the locker room being like, really? You're not even on the team. You know, so and he wasn't and he got cut, Uh, but it was a lesson, though. It was a lesson about preseason and a practice versus preseason that the practices mean way more than the preseason games, especially late in the preseason games. Um, And also that, you know, it's just when you talk about like what someone needs to do to be an NFL quarterback, arm strength and athleticism are great, of which he had both. But really, it's you know, lining up people, knowing the offense, throwing to your correct reads. And I remember Sage Rosenfels watched one practice and he just came out to practice and we were chatting. He was watching quarterbacks run through the offense and he was like, oh, Jake Browning's going to be ahead of uh, Kyle Sloter because Sage ran the Kubiak offense when he played and he could already tell that he wasn't throwing to the right places. And so like the, you know, evaluating quarterbacks is, is tricky when you have good preseason performances, but uh, I can understand why there was confusion. I just think that it became like a total bleep show and it was unnecessary. My favorites, I mean, for sure, Corey Vedvik, um, Michael Floyd, you mentioned is a personal favorite because we just wrote so much about Michael Floyd. Um, Courtney Cronin wrote a 3000 or 4,000 word humongous piece for ESPN when he came back. And I think it was week five against Chicago and he caught one pass. It was like a great catch. And so, you know, he did nothing else the whole rest of the year. But I, I kept saying to her, but like, it was a great catch in Chicago, though, after you <laughs> wrote that article. And uh, Chad Graff wrote the big piece about Jordan Taylor. There was a Tajay Sharp mixed in. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, the thing about those players is so often that they don't even really do anything in camp. And then it's just like, oh, well, we kind of talked about it. Alexander Hollins, though. He must have made 20 great plays in camp and it didn't matter yeah, <laughs> because he was matter. playing he was playing on the second and third team and there was somebody else that they wanted to fit in. It actually might have been Tajay Sharp. So they really probably should have kept Alexander Hollins. I mean, why not? Uh, yeah. What would the difference be? Um, there was uh, Trey Roberson was a corner who had a couple of interceptions that I think people got a little hot and heavy about. He was like a converted quarterback. And anytime anybody's changing positions, 
Oh yeah, like that's the good stuff. That's that the good is stuff. the good stuff. Um, and some of the good, some of the great camp. Holy Udo's been like a three-time oh, yeah. training camp darling. Oh three, yes, three years. Yes, yes, because I remember last year saying on the pod, I was like. Boy, if we're talking about Ole Udo playing guard, that's like, you know, being lost at sea and considering drinking the ocean water. And then when he got the starting job, you know, of course, a bunch of people were like, oh, see, you know, you didn't know he was going to be a guard. And then immediately it's a disaster. It's like, well, and there you have it, friends. <laughs> what a wild ride it was for all of us. Uh, yeah, to stop follow. moving offensive linemen around and they're not positions that they don't play. Like, yes. Yes, one of the uh, longtime listeners of the show sent me because I had made some right guard jokes and he said, like, you know, a right guard walks into a bar or wait, wasn't that guy recently a tackle? Like, you know, just just great stuff. (laughs) Just great stuff. Uh, um, Nostalgic wise, just from my childhood uh, and probably just because I was 10 and just thought his name was funny. But uh, John David Booty will always have a place in my heart for Vikings training camp. I think he backed up. Brett Favre for a little bit, or yes. maybe he was the third stringer third, there. Yeah. So yeah, because um, it was Brett and then Sage and then like John David Booty. Shout out John David Booty. So <laughs> we, yeah, maybe we need to find John David Booty and get him on the show. Tweet at John David Booty and tell him he's come on the show. If Sage um, can break all this stuff down, I'm sure John David Booty's got some insight. So I mean, think think about how good you have to be at playing football to be like a star USC quarterback at that time when USC had this huge program, and you're just nowhere close to Brett Favre. <laughs> Right. Just like that's, that's just the world of football for you. But yeah, there, there are endless ones. Uh, Terrell Sinkfield converted wide receiver to corner, getting some hype. Um, you had Jaleel Johnson once upon a time had, I think in his first training camp, a couple of sacks and uh, in the uh, preseason games. And it was like, well, you know, this Jaleel, he could penetrate the offensive line. And then just, you know, absolutely nothing there. Um, not all of those work that way. I mean, Adam Thielen is a good example of somebody who you went, Hmm. You know, this guy, uh, I wasn't here for him emerging as a Mr. Mankato, but like, is this guy actually good? And then all of a sudden he was. So sometimes what I'm saying is you're not crazy if you fall in love with the camp darling. And it's part of the fun because there's not a whole lot to debate about Kirk Cousins and training camp, although he'll find a way. Uh, okay. Next next question here. How can we tell if the offense looks better? And this particularly goes along with, if they're not playing a lot of starting reps in the preseason, how can we tell? Yeah, I don't know if there's a great foolproof. I mean, I don't think anything's foolproof, but I don't know if there's an amazing way to tell. I think the way you tell is how they talk about it. uh, When we talk to them as media, if it looks like there aren't miscommunications, if, I mean, the biggest thing is if Kevin O'Connell and Kirk Cousins look like they're on the same page, if they're buddy-buddy, if they're talking about their film sessions that they ran, that they spent three hours on yesterday talking about stuff, uh, and you have more physically watching players at training camp practices day after day experience than I do, so maybe you can point to more intricacies that you're going to look for, but for me... It's more intangible. It's more um, almost like vibes related. Like how are things going? Because we've seen this offense be pretty good despite the vibes of not being great between the head coach and the court and, and the uh, quarterback. And so I think for me, I'm just looking like, does everyone seem to be on the same page? Does Kirk Cousins seem to be like grasping the offense? Like, is he not throwing his helmet in frustration? Like are things just 
going smoothly. I think if there's if they're smooth and there's not a ton to report, I think that's the good that comes with it. If there's oh things aren't going well so far and people are struggling to run routes and do th- certain things, that's when you have to be concerned. So I think silence is more how you know if things are going well than the latter. I think it's the less we hear about it, the better it probably is going. The um, in years past the best indicator has really been body language because success on certain plays, especially early in camp, isn't really the greatest indicator because a lot of times they're working through the kinks. Like they're trying to get something down some part of their base offense and they're doing new things. And every year it's been a new offensive coordinator and how it correlates to week one or the first couple of weeks of the season hasn't really matched up. Sometimes they've looked flustered and then played well, and sometimes they've looked great and not played well. Uh, I thought in 2019, if I remember, it was a pretty bleh camp, and they looked pretty much fine. Although I do remember, I do remember uh, Stefan Diggs being upset, like in training camp, multiple times. So there was that. Um, but you know, then they came out and really struggled in the first couple of weeks, and then they got it together later on, and, and turned out to be the best offense since Kirk Cousins has been here. It can be a little tough to judge how everyone's body language looks, how they talk about the offense. Is it going to be where they're like, I mean, guys, we're just rolling out there. We're really getting it. Or will it be, uh, you know, we've got some things to work through. And then you match those things up. Uh, you're tracking the success. Luckily, we're not one of those beats that uh, does like Kirk was seven for 11 today. Pass. Like, come on, stop. That's just ridiculous. No one cares about that. I don't know. I see that everywhere where other uh, groups of reporters that cover teams will be like, oh, Dak Prescott was I'm, I'm just using this example. I don't know if Dallas does it was uh, 14 for 16 passing today. I'm like, was there some question about whether Dak Prescott would complete his passes in practice? I mean, like you're right. You know, yeah. so uh, is, is this information that's really going to tell anyone about how the man practiced? Like, why don't you just tell me what you thought of his practice? Like, was it humming or was it yeah. a struggle? Um, there's also the issue of, is Kirk getting pressured a lot? Because in the last few years, <laughs> every year uh, since Kirk has been here, we could really tell that the offensive line was getting beaten a lot uh, by the defensive line. And especially as the defensive lines were not as good, that became more concerning. Like if you're getting beaten by Everson Griffin, okay. But now if you're getting beaten by the guys who were there last year, that's not great for you. And they were. Um, So I think that we're kind of looking for what does the offensive line look like? It kind of starts there. And there's just from watching football for anybody's entire life, you could do this in the stands or on the sidelines. There's a clock in your head and you're like, okay, one, two, three, there's a hitch ball, like ball, what it throw it like. And then if it looks like that is what's going on, which I know can be the experience watching Kirk sometimes, but if that's what looks like it's going on and then you see people throwing their arms up, people looking around. And if that happens early on, okay. If it happens throughout camp, then you're going to go, something might not be really clicking here. And I thought that that was the case um, to some extent last year that, yeah in camp, it just didn't look like everybody was really on the same page. Even they knew the offense, but just with each other. Uh, So, okay. Final question. Can I ask you one thing? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, Is there anything that could happen? Cause I think we're operating under the assumption that Kirk cousins isn't playing much. Is there anything that if the offense looked really good with the second and third team, like, is there anything the offense could do with Kirk cousins out of the game that makes you 
say, oh, okay, I feel like the offense is improving. I feel like the offense is in a good spot, even if Kirk isn't out there. Yeah, in the preseason games, yeah. Yeah. Uh, That would be personnel-related, I think, more than scheme, because they're not going to show their scheme. They're going to run base stuff. I think it was uh, the Raiders a few years ago who ran the old – uh, split back pro form set or whatever, where you have a running back on the left and a fullback on the right. We just never see that anymore. But if you watch football in the nineties, you would have seen it all the time with like the 49ers or, or the, the Broncos, but you know, that's how little they take it seriously and put out there for scheme. But personnel wise, if we were talking about Mr. Mankato's Jalen Naylor is just making plays all over the place. You're like, well, okay. Or, you know, I I expect that the offensive linemen battling for jobs are going to play. So you've got, you know, Chris Reed and uh, Jesse Davis, and we'll see like what Wyatt Davis looks like and and so forth. If the guards and offensive linemen are going to play and Jesse Davis runs away with this battle and looks really good in all the preseason games, we might go like, okay, well, I think that that's kind of a big linchpin to whether this offense is successful. Aside from that, though, I mean, even if Ty Chandler runs like crazy, like the guy's not really going to play. So the preseason games, these are for entertainment purposes only. And uh, we'll talk about who played well and who didn't. But we can't take them very seriously as far as drawing conclusions about what the season is going to be. Uh, Health would be another thing if everybody stays healthy in those games. Uh, All right. uh, Last one. What are the best and worst case scenarios coming out of training camp? To me, it's the same thing both ways. It's just health is best and worst case at this point. They've left training camp, like they left training camp two years ago without Daniil Hunter feeling great. That doesn't necessarily mean it happened in training camp or training camp caused it. But I think the worst thing they can do at this point is say, we have a new regime. We got to get people out there. We got to push them. And then someone gets hurt. That's the absolute worst case scenario doesn't just any player that they have that they're going to rely on at any point. That's the worst case scenario, them getting hurt. Um, and best case scenario is all the guys stay healthy. Uh, that's, I mean, that's a pretty easy answer. And that, you know, that's kind of implied that that's, that is the linchpin to all this. You're trying to install the offense. You're trying to get up to speed. You're trying to do all those things, but a one, you're trying to stay healthy and you're trying to make sure when we get to games that matter that your guys are healthy. So that's, the biggest thing for me in terms of other best worst case scenario things, I think it's partially what we talked about. I think you brought Kevin and O'Connell in here to be like friends with Kirk cousins and to be really working well with Kirk cousins. I think worst case scenario is that relationship doesn't feel like it's progressed past what Mike Zimmer and Kirk cousins had. If they don't feel super buddy, buddy, or they just don't seem like a cohesive unit that's kind of in lockstep with one another. I think that's probably has to be one of the worst case scenarios for your team, considering you've pushed at least some chips into the table and said, we want to contend this year. The biggest change you got to make from last year is you got to be on page with your quarterback and just the synergy has to be aligned. Like everything has to be good with that relationship. So I think that's the other thing, both best and worst case. If that's humming well, then I think that's a great sign headed into the regular season. If it's not, that's not a good sign. So that those are my two biggest things. Yeah. I think best case scenario is a no news is good news uh, where on a daily basis, we're like, 
you know, is Miles Dorn going to make the team or something like that's the best case is that we're writing about things that are rather unconsequential and uh, inane. Actually, I'm not. I mean, for my own purposes, I uh, enjoy drama, but from their purposes, you want the lack of drama. I would say like the health thing for sure, but also one thing that I've noticed that rookie coaches do right off the bat sometimes in training camp is just step on their own feet. They just do something ridiculous, like right from day one. Like, wasn't it Joe judge making them run laps? And you know, you just have things like where from an inexperienced coach and we don't know with Kevin O'Connell, you do something that's really dumb right off the bat. And you get everybody thinking like, Uh, I don't know if this new coach really knows what he's doing. Now, O'Connell comes across to me, and this is why when they hired him, I thought it was a good idea. He comes across to me as a very well-grounded gentleman, like somebody who played in the NFL, has been just a lifelong football player, and then into coaching, coaching quarterbacks, a finicky position, and then being a right-hand man to a very positive-minded coach in Sean McVay, who never does that. Like McVay, one thing that's great about him is he never manipulates his players. You never see a headline about Sean McVay where you go, what in the heck is this man talking about? You know what I mean? Like just from from day one, like Matt Patricia was putting up film on, on the screen and just like annihilating his players, his star players, just ripping everything they did. And everyone was like, what? Like, what is your deal, bro? Uh, that's number one is don't do anything that is going to make your players think that you don't know what you're doing. Uh, that would be uh, at the start of it. Um, as far as best case scenario, we kind of know what the offense should be. But I think on defense, if they look like they're getting it, if it looks like there's synergy and everybody understands the new system, you mentioned it. Eric Hendricks has never had a different system. And Harrison Smith has almost never had a different system. He played for less, but like way back in the day, if they look like they're mastering it and and they are talking confidently about it, then I think that's a best case scenario and kind of the best you could hope for until they play real teams. If there's confusion, if there's people looking around going, wait, I was supposed to cover who on this play past maybe the first two weeks, then I think that's a worst case scenario that the idea of changing defensive systems solving some of the problems they had in the past if that doesn't look like it's coming to fruition then yeah and here's another one give you a low-key one just because we're us and this is what we do if greg joseph for some reason isn't making his kicks that's bad because greg joseph it looks like you got yourselves a kicker friends but every time there's always something around the corner for vikings fans so uh he's uncontested going into training camp and he was last year and kicked great Um, other than, you know, one missed kick for a game winner. But aside from that, otherwise was excellent last year. But if it looks like, oh no, you've got a problem. As you mentioned, to bring it full circle with Corey Vedvik, you don't want to scramble to try to get that kicker at the end of the year because that's just a mad dash and you never know what's going to happen. You don't want cameras trained on a guy for uh, an an entire week because that tells you that it's newsworthy. And if your kicker is newsworthy, it's it's never a good reason that your kicker's in the news. It's always bad. So if we have to lead a podcast that's like Greg Joseph, blah, 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 that's worst case scenario for the Vikings. That I, just can't happen for them. I don't know how many times I'll bring it up, but probably forever. When Mike Zimmer said maybe he'll kick and punt. 
the funniest. Just the funniest. Come on, man. We were talking about Zach Davidson punting. Think of all the crazy yeah, things I know. that they could have unlocked with Carpenter. Maybe he'll kick it by. He can't do either. <laughs> he is in the CFL, though. I saw him on a CFL game. Is he so. kicking or is he punting? Do you know in the CFL, this is brilliant. Because there's just a lack of good kickers in the universe, I think they were aware that if you just do regular kicking NFL style, it's going to be like the USFL where they just missed 28 yarders. They give them a T for, for field goals. Yeah. So they can kick them from way out. It's a great idea. If only Vedvik had had a T a fifth round pick, which the Ravens turned into Calais Campbell. Amari Cooper was traded for the same as Corey Vedvik and Chris Herndon was traded for even more. I was just going to say, it's like when in the There's one. Sorry, there's a worst case scenario. If you have something happen, do not panic and give away future draft capital. Do not panic. I don't trade for Yannick Ngakwe. Just just keep your guys, man. Ben Ellefson was playing more than Chris Chris Herndon. Yeah, I think the the further we get out, the, the... more wild is the fact that they spent a fourth rounder on Chris Herndon. He was the number four tight end for the New York jets. I think the second worst team in football or whatever. I think Rick just saw that he was on like some fantasy teams uh, for a couple years. And was like, well, I mean, tight ends can fool you for sure. Like, th- like you'll have a guy like Tyler Conklin might be this way. You look up average depth of target for Tyler Conklin. He was 35th in the league last year. It's just catch and dump offs. And I like Tyler Conklin, but it's uh that's a Minnesota thing to do. I'm picking up on some things like I like that guy. Yeah, like but what? Yeah. But what? No, but I mean it's a good story. Like somebody makes good on being a fifth round pick, and he's a good player. And we had him on the show one time, and he's like super on the show. Uh, so he's an interesting guy, and it's cool that he's made an NFL career out of being a late pick, but he was 35th in average depth of target. Like those receptions were coming from places where almost anybody would have made the catch. And when Irv Smith was on the team in 2020, he was 11th in average depth of targets. So there's a big difference there of someone who can actually go down the field. So uh, I guess don't be fooled by somebody who catches 30 passes in a season and say they must be the next best thing and trade a fourth round pick for them years later. Yeah. It's anyway, very specific, but it still applies. Don't do yeah, it. If, uh, if in Rick Spielman's media tour, he ever stops by the show, maybe we'll start there. But uh, <laughs> Paul, thanks for your time as yeah. always. Everyone camp is coming. We got the fans only questions, which will, uh, or the episodes, which will carry on through training camp, by the way. I mean, I was even considering, I don't know how intense I want to be here, but I think like elite level intense putting out, you know, a lot of fans only episodes still to answer training camp questions and, uh, maybe even like two episodes a day. So I don't know. I don't know. We're just going to jam content down people's throats. Well, you mean, yeah, you mean in a good way, in a good way. Surround them like a warm blanket in oh, winter yes. with training camp talk or or like a cool drink uh, on the back patio. That's what we're doing. Like the second the fans only episode is like a cool diet Dr. P uh, as you're sitting next to the lake. So that's what we'll try to provide for you. Thanks for your time. As always, Paul, you will be consistently uh, here co-hosting the podcast during training camp. And uh, we'll look forward to that. And we'll talk to you all soon.